coffee drinkers we are back october 23rd the hiatus of the podcast for the past month is over I was on the road as i'm sure a lot of you following along on the various outlets saw um we were out with bob doing this uh kind of it wasn't at that long it was only like 19 20 days or something but it felt like a couple of months the way things went down i'm sure if you are a close follower um you'll have seen some kind of really uh not so great things happen on the tour where bob's luggage got stolen on a rotterdam train station and it kind of <clears throat> that kind of set the mood for the next few days of the tour which is a real drag and sent bob uh, off on a scavenger hunt of trying to get a bunch of gear back and pedals and stuff like that anyway the um the tour was kind of unique in that sense um and was a tough one to get through at the end of the day um with all the with all the kind of the, the bullshit not the music but the kind of the, the bullshit surrounding it and all the ups and downs that that happen in touring life we all know those things happen in touring life anyone who's been on the road you know um it's not all gonna be ridiculously great all the time you're gonna have to come up against some challenges and uh challenges we came up against um on on kind of all fronts but it's done and there are a lot of positive things uh in the books as a result of it um i think we got to play in the music really great by the end of it i think there were definitely some uh, bumps and bruises musically speaking even along the way even though we operate i think at a very high level no weak links in the band at all. Everyone is uh, everyone is really operating on on, a, on an incredible level. Um, but you know, music takes time to develop, and I think uh, even after all these years, twenty five years of being on the road, um, that doesn't that doesn't change. You can't just expect to go out there and go bish bash bosh. It's all perfect from day one. Um, and for me, kind of. I felt like I was just warming up on the last gig. I got to say, I felt like I played kind of the best on the very last gig, which I guess, you know, playing that much and that often and playing the music and getting into it and developing things throughout the the framework that is Bob's music and Bob's compositions, I guess that kind of is to be expected that you feel the best at the end, as long as you're taking care of yourself and you're not destroying your body through the tour. Um, I got really bad something or the other, not covid not even really a cold, but something that's nasally, some allergy thing that really knocked me on my ass. It still kind of has. I've got a throat lozenge rattling around my, my mouth right now because it's either that or cough every five seconds. So uh, I think the that click, click, click is probably the lesser of two evils for now to get through an episode of the podcast. I've been back a week and wanting to do this and just haven't been able just coughing the whole time and yeah really like an alert something something nasally something a lot of um nasal cavity issues that are not related to narcotics or anything like that just out of nowhere never really had that before so kind of happy to be feeling as good as i've felt in a few weeks now and bring you reports of the road and talk about the experience of that and kind of what what those positive things I just mentioned were that, uh, that we put in the books. Um, the music, obviously, we got to some really great stuff in the end. And, um, you know, the, very, the, very, the final gig was the only gig where we didn't write a set list. And to me, that was kind of the loosest one and the best one. Because um, we, we were just firing on all cylinders and anyone 
had the option to just start any tune at any time. That was sort of the mandate. We said, okay, we, we know we're going to open with this tune. Let's agree we're going to open with one tune. And then it can go anywhere for the next 90 minutes. And anywhere it did. And we actually played some old stuff, some brand new stuff, a real nice mixture, and had the flow of the show, so to speak. Um, And, you know, I guess one of the most positive things uh, about it that I can share with you um, is that I, you know, I have my GoPro every night. Um, I'm kind of meticulous with that. I haven't missed a show in many years, maybe a decade now. So I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows on video. And the audio is not terrible. You know, I, I never really get um, a, a picture from the front because I always have the, have it set up somewhere on stage, somewhere close to me, somewhere I'm not going to forget to switch it off and or switch it on and take it with me after the show. So it's actually more of like a bass player's, a musician's perspective from the stage. I try and get the angle right so I can include as much visual of how we interact and include the musicians and let you see sort of what exactly is going on on stage. And I have been furiously editing all of that material from this tour. It's 12 shows. It's um, I mean, it's over 120 songs or something like that. And I'm I'm adding them to Yannick's Bass Studio. I guess that's, uh, that's what I should be telling you where they are. Um, they're at Yannick's Bass Studio. They're in the live archive, this archive of live concerts that I upload. I'm continually adding to it. And uh, this month is really sort of exceptional in terms of the sheer quantity of live performances. I'm adding every single show from this tour. And something I'm doing new this time with these things is for each show, I'm recording a video that sort of is a synopsis of what happened, of my memory of that show, kind of how I went into it, how the show progressed, how I was feeling as a bass player, what I take away from watching that footage afterwards. So there are two really important things here. Um, whether you, by the way, whether you go to Yannick's Bass Studio and get the live archive, you know, it's it's a paid thing. I'm not, this is like, you know, can stand as an advertisement for that. It's not free. It is behind a paywall. I think it's 59 bucks. Um, but once you do buy that, you get access to it for life. And I keep adding to it like I'm doing this month. So I think that's a pretty good value. And more importantly, just conceptually, whether you go and get that or not, two things that doing that as a musician, like as recording the shows and watching the stuff afterwards, two things I get from that are I want to share with you. So whether you go get the live archive at annexbasestudio.com or not, doesn't matter. As long as you take away the concept of it, um, I think that's that's the most important thing, first and foremost. Um, So... Recording, you know, if you followed me at all, you know I talk about recording my practice. So whether it's as simple as a little major scale idea like that. Oh, and Okay, we are going to get off on some tangents here because I'm uncovering things as I go, as I play. These are the first notes of the day for me. So don't worry, we're getting to the two most important things about recording recording gigs but they're also you know equally as important to record your practice routine and what you get from that what you get from the gigs recording your practice routine or the gigs are a really honest representation something that doesn't lie something that is set uh, kind of in stone exactly what happens you get real versus feel i heard that quote from um 
from Tiger Woods. He talks about that in his practice routine. There are lots of incredibly high-quality videos of Tiger Woods, probably of many athletes now, high-quality athletes, top athletes talking about their process and their practice routine. And there are all these driving range, ses- range sessions of Tiger Woods and He's talking to the – sometimes it's really casual, but sometimes they're really like a lesson, like a master class, and he's talking to the camera. I think TaylorMade or some golf club company actually went out there and shot these high, high-end videos. And one of the ones that really stuck out and is so applicable to us as musicians, whether you're a coffee drinker, bass player, uh, or what, no matter what instrument you play, it's really, really important. It ha- at least it has been to me to figure out real versus feel. And, and feel is what you think is happening as you play, whether that's in your practice routine, whether that's in a rehearsal, whether that's on a recording session, on a gig, throughout a tour. You have a feeling for how you're playing. You have a, a picture and a sound and a feel for how you think the gig went, um, for how you think you're developing ideas in solos, for how you think your, your sound is dialed in. You have a real um, feel for that for yourself but it's unbelievably interesting how inaccurate that can be versus real the feel versus real what what actually happened versus what you feel uh happened so that's something to me that like the videotape doesn't lie i heard stories of dave weckle for instance filming all of the chick career electric band shows or just all of his shows back in the day and being really meticulous about going back to the hotel and, and looking at the, watching the video and like looking at the angle of his sticks and his technique and all of these things, like really dialing it in, putting it under a microscope. And, um, and, and I think that that is kind of similar to what Tiger Woods said. It's kind of similar to what I take from that concept of real versus feel. And the videotape doesn't lie. You can sit there and, and listen back to it. And for the, uh, really, for the most part, I found that, that real is, is quite different from feel. Um, and it's only very occasionally that the two line up. Now, you would think like with two and a half decades of experience, those two might come closer together because I or you or we perhaps have done this so much that we might have a really good idea as to where real and where feel are. But in the moment, emotion and, and, and perhaps ego or circumstance or, or content in that moment of playing, um, real can really get pushed to the side, um, I find, at least for me. And I'm sure it'll be different, slightly different or hugely different for everyone listening if you do this. But the bottom line is the difference between real and feel are quite often uh, uh, vastly, uh, the, different, the, the gap is pretty wide. So <clears throat> what I get from filming the shows, um, and now, of course, sharing them through Yannick's Bass Studio so I can explain this like in more detail. Like I said, I'm making these like synopsis videos for each concert to really say, okay, this is how I felt. It's like a recap of the show. And, um, you know, on Bob's tune, Hush, for instance, if I solo on that and there are maybe more changes than on Feedback, which is just one chord, you know, it's kind of a different concept. And I noticed throughout the tour that when I did play on that tune, I was working on developing different things. And then I was struggling in certain parts of the form. And maybe my, you know, certain things like my monitor mix wasn't right. So I couldn't really hear the hi-hat because I'm playing on the ride cymbal side, not the hi-hat side. So uh, little details like that, things I'm developing over the course of a tour. 
in terms of my awareness of what has happened. Really, really important with the video thing. Also, the thing uh, f- for you, the audience, if you do go and, and watch these videos and you, and you do kind of get inside the live archive there, it, it really highlights to me the importance of going out to see live music, to really um, experience, it, be in the room, um, see it in real time and see how the musicians on stage are interacting and what things spark you know what what actions spark which reactions for instance musically speaking and that's something that you know i'm trying to share that from the bass player's perspective from my videos through yannick space studio through the live archive that's 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 some of the way there to being able to study it from afar um but it's you know youtube and video content is no substitute for actually being there in the room now i understand not everyone lives in a big city like new york or london or los angeles or berlin or paris or johannesburg or tokyo or or melbourne or sydney or something where there are generally uh large cultural events happening on a regular basis you might live way out there in like maribor or you know in toulouse or something or you might live in you know middle of Kentucky in the, in the middle of a cornfield or something. Um, so it's, it's even more important that you make the effort whenever you can to maybe travel a little and go and see that gig. And, and of course, don't, um, don't underestimate the value of going to see the local musicians in your area. If you don't live in one of those huge cities, I think it's still hugely important to go out and see live music. It, like it, maybe you're a huge fan of Branford Marsalis or Joshua Redman or Chris Potter or something, and they are just not visiting like Birmingham, Alabama. But in Birmingham, Alabama, you've got a ton of musicians potentially who are playing on a regular basis. They might be playing top 40 gigs. They might be playing at a bar, but there's still something valuable in that. Whether you're a jazz musician, whether you, you like dream theater or whether you like, you know, Chopin, there's still a value, I think, in going to see live music and challenging yourself, especially, especially if you're like the biggest Chris Potter fan and you couldn't care about listening to Brown Eyed Girl played by a cover band in a bar. Challenge yourself to go out and see that music. It might even be free to get in and cost you five bucks to drink a beer. And suddenly you've seen like an hour and a half show of live music. And I I really believe that even if it's not your style, the immersion of seeing things and experiencing things in real time and experiencing them live uh, is such a priceless uh, element to you, to, to your, to my, to our growth as musicians, you know, and, you know, I live in a big city, I live in Los Angeles and, you know, I'm, there are so many things happening here and I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I don't live in the small town where nothing's happening. I live in a huge city where tons of things are happening and I still don't get out as much as I would like to. And every time I do, I'm really, first of all, I'm really happy I did, really glad I did. And I'm sort of buzzing from that every time, almost regardless of what I've seen, you know, what style of music, just to be in the room and, and experience that thing happening live is always highly motivational and it was such a huge part of my upbringing as a musician i think that's why i love it so much now and why i try and promote that idea as much as i can to you know to anyone who's listening anyone who's asking advice perhaps students or or people who are like hey what should i be doing with my time how should i be spending my practice time or my time working on music i think that is a really overlooked 
element of our learning process these days. It's not just scales and arpeggios and time spent in your in you know in your bedroom, uh, you know, quote unquote practicing. It's you really got to fill in the whole pie chart. You can't just have one slice that's really really tasty and then everything else is kind of bland. You really need the whole the 360 degree picture. And I think that's re- when I speak to younger musicians, you know, musicians who have even, you know, become, you know, famous for want of a better word or have attention drawn to them. Uh, I, I, I often find when I ask questions, when I give master classes, when I give clinics, I ask questions and, and very rarely um, do I find people are enthusiastic about actually going out and checking out live music and doing research and, you know, existing in a community um, because it's so, it can be so insular with the internet and with how easy it is to, you know, quote unquote, create content. The phrase I hate, um, but that's what a lot of people do and call it being a musician. And I think that it really gets off track in terms of, you know, having that, that kind of priceless experience that you really need to interact with other people. And, um, you know, it's interesting being around, you know, three other very high quality musicians in Bob's band. Obviously we don't just sit there staring into the middle distance. We start talking and we discuss things. And even though Gene is the youngest guy in the band, I think by a few years, we still um, have all kind of come up, you know, it's about an eight year uh, swing in terms of age in the band, but we've all kind of come up within a similar generation crossing from analog to digital. And we all have experienced Sorry, I'm just, uh, I want music going on. I don't want to hear my own voice so much. We have all experienced uh, this transition from analog to digital. and We've had similar, even though uh, sometimes stylistically different backgrounds, similar uh, practical experiences in terms of how we've worked on music and how we've learned music and how we've been obsessed with it and, and in love with it and how we have been motivated to do the work. We have very similar experiences in that. So we also um, view some things happening now quite similarly, and that, that's been a topic of discussion over the past month on the road. <coughs> Ooh, la, 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 la. The coughing. Oh, um, yeah, that's been a topic of discussion. And, and, you know, a common thread that's come up is that young musicians just don't get that immersion anymore. They get this very sort of, isolated you know physically isolated situation regardless of covid or not and the pandemic and lockdowns and that stuff just that this has been going on for some years now before that um so it seems they get a very isolated situation to exist in and then very short form bursts of information like nobody's really listening to a whole album nobody's sitting through a whole show they're just clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking and oh, let me get five seconds of that. Oh, there's a Tony Williams lick. Oh, let me get that down. Okay, next. Oh, there's Billy Cobham. Great, next. And in one hour, they've gone through six different drummers, for instance, or 10 guitar players and kind of passively heard some vocabulary or, or something kind of really out of context, maybe assimilated, maybe not, maybe transcribed it, maybe not. But the, you can hear that. To, to me, I can hear that, like the, the result of that kind of lack of hardcore immersion and um, ability to focus for more than a few seconds is very apparent in a lot of young musicians. And I'm by no means like, you know, get off my lawn or like, I don't want to be that 
that kind of angry old man who says all these kids suck because all these kids don't suck, of course, you know. I'm just seeing a, a, a fairly worrying trend towards very short form uh, in terms of output and also input. And the more I can do to promote long form input, <coughs> and I'm not saying, hey, you got to go listen to all my records from start to finish. This is not like a self-promotion thing at all. This is just, a, hey, you should really be aware of some of the options out there. In terms of, you know, you want to be a badass, you really want to like have that underlying undeniable ridiculousness to your playing rather than a bunch of quick flashy licks you know do you want to be on the legend status or do you want to you know have 350,000 followers on Instagram or TikTok or some shit and play some really impressive thing that you then get tied to for the rest of your life because let's face it um a lot of these people get super famous super quick for doing this one flashy thing. And then when they go play live, that's what all those people that liked and followed want to see. So it, to me, it kind of ties you into being fairly one dimensional um, and doesn't really give you the space to uh, the freedom to create as much as uh, as much as maybe you, you might like down the line. Because, you know, everyone's young at some point. Everyone wants to play fast and flashy and everyone has you know let's say maybe the wrong heroes in the beginning sometimes and and then they mature a little bit they go oh shit yeah that's that's some bullshit it was really impressive and that's why i liked it when i was 15 but actually wow here's some depth and and uh and meaning in the music and they 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 mature and they get they they mature into more substantial things and um when you do that if you if all you've done is have this quick fix and this quick rise to <clears throat> social media stardom man getting locked into that has got to be a drag having to like reinvent yourself in a space where nobody wants to hear anything but that one thing you did to get there in the first place so yeah it's <clears throat> super interesting it's uh it's, it's an interesting topic of discussion between musicians uh, in my age. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting to give a masterclass in Amsterdam uh, at the conservatorium. And it was interesting. I did something I never really do on masterclasses, which is have a couple of people come up. You know, they really, the school really requested, hey, do you mind if we get some bass players up on stage? <clears throat> and... Maybe you were one of the two bass players. I don't know. I'm definitely not trying to insult or diminish anyone here. Um, but it did, it kind of highlighted to me like why I don't do that. Um, and everyone was super nice. I got to say the questions at that masterclass from everyone were fantastic. I really enjoyed the questions. They were forward thinking. Um, but <clears throat> the standard of playing didn't really match up with the th with the level of, uh, thinking that I heard from from some people, so that was kind of interesting to me. Um, that like you're in university, you're over twenty years old, you're not a teenager anymore, and you may be about to graduate from a, a undergraduate program, and it's it's a bit it's still a bit of an issue to make the make it the changes on a blues or outline really the changes of of a simple standard. So that was that kind of you know, highlighted a couple of things to me. It was like, you know, the one guy, I think we were playing a blues and he was, you know, scuffing up a little bit and, and, and the, the time wasn't great. And there were, there were issues for sure. Um, 
which I could have delved into and, and you know given direction on. I did, we really didn't have the time, but I you know I asked him like like what are you working on? And like if this isn't your thing, like why aren't you transcribing like or working on Dream Theater or something like that? And he's like, oh, actually that's my favorite band. <clears throat> and I was like, well, <clears throat> why did you get up here and call a blues in F then? You know. So like even. Even though the thing I heard the musician play wasn't wasn't their forte, they still weren't they still didn't get out there and say, "Hey, you know what? This is what I do." Like I would have adapted immediately to something proggy or something vampy or more angular, perhaps, or something more in their wheelhouse. And it was kind of interesting that they they were not there to show their strength. They got up on stage to show perhaps what they were learning in the curriculum of the school, or perhaps what they thought was applicable because they view me as a jazz musician, maybe. Which, yeah, sure, I, I love jazz. I'm, I'm technically a jazz musician, I guess, but I do a lot of different things. And that that, that ability to think for oneself, like I, I think it should really be happening at that point. If you're 20, 21, 22, you're a musician, you're supposedly surrounded by very creative people who are, who are thinking about art and about music and... Um, and thinking artistically and are exposed to so many great cultural um, moments of history and current events, et cetera, et cetera. That was really a little puzzling uh, to me to get, to get on stage and then <clears throat> call a blues or solo or, you know, whatever the tunes were. I don't remember really now. So, yeah, very that kind of highlighted that. Like, what's going on here? Like, you know... Um, the bass teacher was super cool, head of the bass department, whoever that was. I forget the guy's name, but he was like super cool. And we had very similar ideas. And I was talking about string action. And he told me afterwards, like, yeah, I really appreciate that because, you know, the, the higher action, wider range of sound. So I know we were on the, me and the teacher were on the same page. I'm not sure whether there's a kink in the curriculum or what it was, but just the direction that students are being taken in, uh, not really serving their their passions or their needs um and then you know coming on stage in a master class and it really wasn't that happening i'm like wow what's going on here <clears throat> i could have spent another three hours uh, me just asking questions i wish i'd had more time it was uh yeah it was kind of an eye-opener i'm still thinking about that it's not a fully formed thought that's just an addition to um, where I'm at with the, you know, trying to promote people and suggest go, going out to see live music and really experiencing music, you know, and being, just be honest with yourself. I guess that's the fully formed thought at the end of the day, talking about the clinic and the masterclass, like just be honest with yourself and then find the confidence to express that honesty. I, I remember it very, very clearly at Berkeley being in some like, bass guitar lab like transcription lab or something and i'm not gonna you know mention the bass player's name but you know the task was set by the teacher i'm not talking about the teacher actually i don't remember who the teacher was but the 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 the, the assignment to transcribe a bass solo was set and i you know it was two choruses on something and electric bass player and I transcribed the first chorus and then i started listening to the second chorus. i'm like what the f this is just the same bullshit from the first chorus is almost nothing different like literally almost the same licks in the same places in the form so i transcribed the first chorus and then turned over the page and wrote you know uh, more of the same shit you know chorus number two more of the same shit and handed it in and just be like 
I mean, that sounds like kind of a dickish thing to do, but it was like the, the most honest thing. I could like, what the fuck am I doing here? This is wasting my time. Why am I transcribing this freaking bass player in the first place who doesn't have half the vocabulary, a tenth of the vocabulary that Dexter Gordon does? Why do I want to transcribe a bass player and then sound like a bass player? Like, I've listened to enough of a few people that are important in the world of electric bass to know, okay, that's the sound, that's the lane. There's Jacko and Stanley Clark and, and, and a few people and, and Willis, whoever. Great, now let's get on and fucking play music and, and innovate and, and follow, just follow where, where, what I love. And I think we should be promoting that a little more, just promoting awareness of that even, you know. Be honest with yourself and follow what you love. Even if it seems really dumb, even if you've got to write, yeah, chorus number two, more of the same bullshit. Like, why am I doing this? Let's not fuck around. Let's not waste time here. Time is precious. Most precious commodity any of us have as human beings is time. So let's not waste it. (coughs) And don't get me wrong. I know that it takes commitment and it takes way more time to get out of the house, travel to a show, or make the money to be able to afford the travel and the ticket to get in. Go to said show of 90 minutes, uh, you know, travel home, digest all that information, you know, and, and then start to work on it. Yes, that, that takes, it might take your whole day in some cases. And you might think you can get way more out of a five minute YouTube clip. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of very few things, but of that, there is no question, you know the time and effort you put in. <coughs> wow, my throat is really going now as well. It's all closing up with these allergies. Damn, I need some more Zyrtec. So, yeah, the time you put in will far outweigh. And the memory you'll have of that as well, just the experience of it, that's something that's going to stick with you. Can you really remember, if you binged YouTube yesterday for two hours, can you really remember every everything you saw? I don't think so. I don't think I could. I don't think anyone can. So, but like... I can remember gigs that I went to when I was 15 and I can remember everything about them. I can remember the journey there. I can remember the anticipation of waiting for the musicians to come out and come on stage. The anticipation of like, oh, I'd seen them before. Are they going to play this one song I like? And oh shit, they're playing all new music and I've never heard this before. Oh, I don't really like that. Oh, maybe the next one. Oh, that was killing, you know, all of those things. Like those things stuck in my memory. Those are things I take to my gigs now. Those experiences are what make me the musician I am now. They're what make me walk on stage the way I do. They're what give me the confidence to, to, to wait another 30 seconds or another two minutes backstage when the, when the crowd is asking for an encore and not to just run out after five seconds like a total rookie. I've sat back there for four minutes. Do you know how long four minutes is to make an audience clap? You know, if they really want to hear you, I have a problem with encores anyway. Like, it's like, for fuck's sake, I come out here and I play my absolute heart out for 90 minutes. And that's the show. Like, that is the show. I don't build an encore into my show. I don't say, oh, that's going to be an encore. Some people do. You know, with Bob, we did. We said, okay, if they want an encore, we'll choose this song potentially or have a couple of songs, depending on how we ended the show. I don't do that with my band. I kind of think encores are bullshit. I would like to just have a show, you know. You don't have that at the theater when there's a play. The play is scripted and and it, it, there's two acts or three three acts or something. When it's over, the band the, the cast comes out. There's a curtain call. Maybe they come out and take another bow. But uh, 
There's no like, oh, could you just do another 20 minutes of shit? You know? But musicians, comedians, like all kinds, you know, the, all kinds of performers, we, we, we are kind of talked into or applauded into. And it's not like I don't um, appreciate the applause or the love or the the fact that people obviously enjoyed it if they're standing up and clapping for two or three minutes. I, I appreciate that more than you know. Because um, that's the reason we're there. We're there to make that connection. I've just always thought that the, the, um, the encore thing is kind of backwards and upside down. And also 90 minutes is a fucking long show. Especially if it's improvising like most of my, my trio is. Although I'm doing some writing now for next year. Um, right, we're getting off track here for sure. Um, I should say a couple of things about that actually. We're looking at um, touring next year. I've got this new agent, which is fantastic. We had a meeting this weekend. Talked about all kinds of places from Romania to uh, Cheltenham Jazz Festival, London Jazz Festival, Serbia, uh, Hungary, Italy, Spain, France, Germany, just all of Europe, Scandinavia. Uh, so we talked about a lot of things. I'm very excited for that. We'll try and aim to do a week in the spring and then a two-week tour in the fall and uh, possibly some festival stuff in, in later in the year, in the winter, maybe November, to hit the London Jazz Festival and the Novi Sad Jazz Festival in Serbia. So, yeah, quick uh, plug for that. That's looking good. Um, but yeah, um, th don't forget to check out the live archive at Yannick's Bay Studio. I'm adding, I think it's around 120 videos this week. It's crazy. It's it's such an intense amount of editing. And plus, I'm going back and listening to it again. You know, I try and scan it after the gig. You know, I, when it's so fresh in my mind, I try and scan the footage as I'm putting it into the computer and saving it to a hard drive. I try and scan that footage and be like, oh, there was this moment. Like, there are a couple of really bad boo-boos. I mean... I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to give it away, but there are a couple of like ridiculous train wrecks like that we should not be having as a band on that level, like just completely unacceptable. I got super, it's not even my gig and I got super pissed <clears throat> after one of the gigs, like, and it was like right before, you know, it was the end of the show and we had an amazing show until there and, and then fucking disaster. Um, train wreck and then we had to go out and do the encore I was like not happy and that was again that was you know I had to draw on some experience of having been around live shows before having been around other musicians and not let my own feelings overtake the gig that is not even mine you know and the music that isn't even mine you know I think I feel more of a responsibility than I normally do as a sideman, but just because I've known Bob so long and we've been playing together 25 years and it's that band and it's that music and it's, it's a lot closer connection than almost any other sideman gig I've ever done. So there's a little more emotion involved there. But at the same time, it's not my responsibility and it's not ultimately, like the very final responsibility is not mine, um, no matter how responsible I feel in the moment for the music. And uh, yeah, I was not happy at all. And um that was tough to like overcome very quickly, you know, in the two minutes you have backstage before the encore and then to be, you know, <clears throat> traveling as a band the whole time. And it was early on in the tour. So you got to get over it quick, figure it out, you know, be more like be, be all about finding the solution rather than just about calling out the mistake. That's what I try and do. Even though there's like some initial anger there or frustration I try and get to solution uh, as quickly as possible. And, um, yeah. 
you know, back to the hotel, maybe alone or quickly is normally a good thing. Put some space and then come down breakfast the next day with a fresh head going on. So having worn my bass throughout this entire podcast, I barely played anything, but maybe I'll play out with a little bit because I'm I'm practicing. Why not why not bring you guys in on that? Um uh, Okay, and I'm getting uh getting some text here. Oh, because baby's down for a nap and she just turned one, so um uh, hang on a second. Okay. I'm going to play for a couple of minutes at least before I have to go back on baby duty. feeling comfortable and I'm not happy with that loop so actually also good to know and be aware of when it's not the right time and when I'm feeling like okay you know what I should go back on dad duty and go take care of the kiddo and help Chelsea so she can get out of here and go to work um, again priorities right good to know when when it's the right time and uh, right now I'll uh, I'll opt to practice a little later when the kiddo goes down for her second nap of the day. So that's it. Don't forget, um, yannickspacestudio.com, the live archive. I've already got about 40 of the videos up there. And, uh, you know, I'm editing them every day. I'm doing like a show or a show and a half every day. It takes time to render them. They're all in 4K. So it's great. <clears throat> it's great footage. Or at least I think it is. I think it's super interesting. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, probably over the next week, I'll get the other 80 up there, gigabyte after gigabyte of uh, of information, and the live archive will continue to grow. Um, I still have the five concerts from my trio tour to upload as well, and I actually have more camera angles for those, so I'm looking forward to uh, early next month getting to those and giving you a real good look inside the band leader side of things as well as the sideman. Um, but for now, it's the Bob Reynolds European Fall Tour in all its glory that will be up there um, for your for your pleasure, for your enjoyment, for your learning. Hopefully, you know, showing you what it, it what it's like from the bass player's perspective. I'm, I'm so often the camera is looking over my shoulder, so you really get to see what's happening. And if you watch the shows in order throughout the tour, you'll see that I'm working less and less and less from the sheet music. 
Um, we had a lot of new material, like four or five brand new songs where I'm playing the melody and I did not have any time before I left to just sit there and repeat those melodies. So I was leaning on the sheet music a little more than I normally do. But by the end of the tour, um, I was literally playing the entire show with one sheet of music, just the very first page of a new tune called Found, where I play a, a unison melody with Bob. And uh, I guess with two more shows, I probably would have had that completely memorized as well. So little things like that, little details that I think will be interesting uh, when you watch it all in context and, and hopefully will help your process and help your learning process, maybe motivate you to take a little camera out there and record your shows. Keep this amazing archive. You know, I have hundreds of shows from the past 20 plus years um used to be on an old sony camcorder with dv tapes and now it's on this little you know gopro it's not even a brand new one it's a gopro session little cube thing with one button on it. it's so simple and a clamp and a usb-c cable with a power supply and I just plug it in and 128 gigabyte um micro sd card and i can fit i don't know probably two hours of music at 4k or something or two i forget what it is it's a lot of information that you can store and then i just take an external hard drive and buzz it out to that every night and keep the backup and when i get home put it into my into my pc my steiger dynamic super pc server situation so i can get to it you know wherever i am in the world um and it's great you'll see progress hopefully it'll motivate you if you do this yourself and you can really see progress over time and see what what you can what you can fix again real versus feel it's really good to be aware of where you are where you sit on the spectrum between real and feel and how much closer to real you can get and how you can you know adapt your practice routine and your and your process towards being closer to the real uh real side of your playing all right that's it um we're back podcast is back uh, no more touring for a minute and uh bringing more episodes as soon as possible all right cats later 